Hebrews 12, verse 3 to 11. Consider him. Now, in the previous verses, uh, the him right here is Jesus, right? Uh, because that's who Hebrews 12 uh, is ultimately about. Consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Just stop for a minute. Can you remind me, tell, tell the people around you, what has the book of Hebrews been about largely? Faith, yeah, what else? What was that? Drifting, not drifting, but, uh, but remaining faithful and true. What else? Obedience, yeah. And ultimately not growing weary, right? The, the big idea for the people in Hebrews was that uh, they were growing weary of the faith and ultimately they were just drifting around and, and, and potentially going way off track and, uh, and completely against God. Um, some were even close to throwing the faith in. And so you get to Hebrews 12 and you're reminded of this really key concept throughout he- Hebrews. And what Hebrews, what, what I'm hoping it will do today is help you to endure. Yeah, faith, faith is not just some easy la-di-da thing. No, faith is nitty-gritty everyday stuff that you probably need to endure. You will need to endure. Um, and, and some more than others, different circumstances. We're going to hopefully unfold that today. So... Consider Jesus so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God's treating you as sons. Do you hear that? This is directly to us today. The word is good in season and out of season. This is directly to you today. God is treating you as children. Sons is the collective for uh, daughters and sons. God is treating you as children today for those who are actually his. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So this word discipline comes up quite a bit, doesn't it? And I wonder what you think about when you think of the word discipline. Uh, maybe you think like this, discipline, no child's behind, left behind. <laughs> uh, so that and laughed. Uh, I, I actually looked at the, um, the discipline, I looked up discipline in all the images and, uh, and ultimately it was all about strong will and, uh, and reaching your goals and reaching potential and being disciplined. But I wonder what you think about when you think of the word discipline. You probably have uh, memories back to your childhood, right? And uh, there was all sorts of forms of discipline. Um, at any rate, the idea of discipline, particularly within a family and the parent-child relationship, is probably frowned upon more today uh, and is something that ought to be avoided. And the big thing in this is that kids love it. <laughs> they run amok and parents lose the plot because their children cause all sorts of grief in their own home and wherever they go. So what was it for you? Was it loving? Was it abusive? 
Was it neglectful? Maybe you go straight to punishment. You think discipline, punishment, straight together. No questions asked. Or maybe you think a regimented and rigid lifestyle of discipline. Well, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary says about discipline this way. Number one, it talks about punishment. These are the words associated with it. Number two, interestingly enough, is obsolete. talks about instruction. don't know why it's obsolete. I tried to find that, but uh, it couldn't tell me. Number three is the field of study. So maybe your discipline is science or agricultural science, or maybe your discipline is a uh, uh, child worker. You get that? That's a field of, field of study. Uh, number four is training that corrects, moulds, or perfects the mental faculty, faculties or moral character. Number four there is probably uh, what, what I'm going to hit on mostly today. Um, the other three are obviously involved in that and uh, part of the context of what discipline is, but I'm probably uh, more going to hang out in that last area. But I think the Bible looks at discipline and God's discipline as something far deeper than that. It's not just something that trains your brain or trains your body. Um, it's actually something that trains your heart all right, and, uh, and gets to the real core of what's going on. So whatever definition you have, however you've been raised, as with all our lives, when we love and follow Christ, when you love and follow Christ today, everything gets put up for grabs, right? Everything you thought, everything that you, uh, you thought was right, everything you thought was true, you put up for grabs and say, God, you define it for me. This is part of coming to follow Christ and, and, and surrendering your whole life to him, is to say, God, you define it for me. I need to learn from you what discipline is. So that's what we're doing today. Uh, <clears throat> so I invite you to come as we get to hear what God says, how he acts and how we get to live as a result. Here's what I found in a Bible dictionary. Now, the difference between a Bible dictionary and a regular dictionary is that the Bible dictionary takes into account the Bible, right, and uh, comes up with a definition based on uh, what God's done and based on the whole story of the Bible. So here's what the uh, Bible, Holman Bible Dif- Dictionary says. Discipline refers to the process by which one learns a way of life. Stop there. Discipline refers to the process by which one learns a way of life. A disciple was like an apprentice who was learning a trade or craft from a master. Such learning required a relationship between the master who knew the way of life. God, the master, knows the way of life. Ten commandments, what were they? I know the way of life. Come and follow me. Come and, come and do what I ask. It's a really clear relationship. Uh, and a learner who is a disciple. Within this relationship, the master led a learner through a process, the discipline, until the learner could imitate or live like the master. That's a bit of a different definition, probably, uh, to what I'd thought of, de- of dis- discipline. I've always read this scripture and gone, I don't get that, so I'm just not really going to go near it. All I think of discipline is punishment, pretty well. All I think of discipline is uh, naughty corner, uh, or maybe sitting out on your own, or maybe uh, one thing that uh, my mum used to do was, if us boys were fighting, we had a quite a large backyard, she's like, you in that corner, you in that corner. <laughs> Don't come back till you worked it out. <laughs> um, and that was probably a good way at some times to, uh, to help us deal with it. Um, but you, you probably, I don't know what you do, you probably think of discipline as, uh, as punishment. Um, so begins the redefining of God's discipline in the life of his children. How and where does it show up in our lives? 
So as you begin to unfold what, what God's discipline looks like, um, I'm hoping that it will actually help to reshape and remould your own heart and your own thinking about who God is, who you are, and, uh, and, and what he's like, how he uses things in our lives. There's a few ways. It shows up in the adversity. That's God's discipline. shows up in suffering. That's God's discipline. Remember the, word, the understanding of discipline is not just punishment, all right? Suffering adversity and not necessarily punishment. You did the wrong thing, so you get this. It's not necessarily. It's actually part of the training process. Hardship we experience both inside of us as a result of our struggle against sin. So it happens inside. It happens outside of us as a result of sins committed against us. There's people sitting here who've been committed. People have committed sins against you. And that was wrong. All right? But can God use that? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it's the effects of living in a broken world, sickness, trouble in the world, natural disasters. This is, we live in a broken world. It doesn't take long for you to work that out. <laughs> it doesn't take long to uh, hear a few stories of people and work out. This is a broken, messed up world. And, uh, and this is part of the, what God uses, what, what God permits to actually bring about our uh, holiness. Uh, the effects of living in a broken world and our battle against God's arch enemy, Satan, who lies to us, tempts us, and endeavors to derail our faith. Do you see that God's discipline is far more than just punishment? I'm hoping you're beginning to see that. His scope is far wider and his means are far different to what we think. See, I, I would like to think that God's discipline is, uh, is more like um, he just tells me what to do and I go and do it. That'd, that'd be really nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> like, here's how you live. Here's the way to do it, so just, just go and do it. And you say, okay, yep, I'll go and do that. But that's not reality, is it? <laughs> it's not the reality with your own kids if you've got kids. You, you ask them to go and do something and they just wander around and don't do what you ask them to do. Sometimes it's a stiff neck. I won't do it. No, no. Two-year-old, no. That's a very classic word in a two-year-old's language. No. <laughs> uh, but it's not the way it works so with this as our definition of discipline consider how how god might be actually disciplining you right now it might be the form of punishment it might be but it also is most probably the loving hand of a disciplinary god who's training you who's teaching you who's correcting you who's rebuking you who's reproving you what shape is it taking do you view it the way that the hebrews view it you're God's son. You're God's daughter. He disciplines you because he loves you. How do you view God when you're in the thick of it? How are you responding to discipline? What's God saying to you in it all? I wish it was as easy as I said before as saying, okay, God, you've shown me how to live, so I'll just go and do it. But it's certainly not that easy. There is a battle that rages in us and around us to keep pulling us away from God and his plans. Discipline is the method God uses to woo us back, draw us back to him, and to follow in all his ways. Do, do you hear that? Discipline is, is God's method to actually draw you back to him. It's not to drive you away. When God disciplines, the, the loving hand and the loving movement of God towards you is something that can sometimes be missed and forgotten. You forget easily. And you become weary and you become faint-hearted because you miss the, the full picture of what God's actually trying to show you and teach you in the, the difficulty in the trial. C.S. Lewis put it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. 
It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I remember doing this in uh, Year 12 English, I think, and I did not get it. I just could not get it. It was just the weirdest saying, and uh, I had to try and write an essay. I don't know how I did. I think I failed, but uh, I, I just couldn't get it. Um, and life obviously teaches you experience, and, uh, and what C.S. Lewis, from what I understand, is saying that as a Christian life is going well, as, as you as a son or daughter of God, as you're cruising along, as you're going pretty well, God can uh, speak to you quietly and you're probably here and you redirect, right? Uh, when, you're, when you're going well and he speaks to your conscience, maybe there's some preaching that you hear and suddenly your conscience is preaching, you go, oh, I need to move away from that. Yeah, that's, that's cool, but in your suffering, man, it's like God's shouting at you. I want you to come back to me. Don't turn away from me. Come back to me. In your affliction, God's shouting at you, come back to me. I'm a good dad. This is the sense of discipline. But you don't get it. In fact, you won't get it until you believe and trust who God is as your father and who you are as his child. This has a lot to do with identity. This has a lot to do with who you are when you become a Christian, when God saves you, when God redeems you, when God uh, makes you his own, you have a lot to uh, work out in your new identity. Your old identity is done, it's gone, and you have this new identity as a child of God. And you get to call yourself a son of God, just as Jesus does. You get to call yourself a daughter of God, just as Jesus does, as a child. And so ultimately what, uh, what needs to happen is that you trust him as a good dad. He's not an evil, manipulative, violent, abusive dad. He's a good dad. He's been the father since before creation. He and his son Jesus have eternally existed in perfect relationship. He created the universe in this little place called earth where he also created people. These people, Adam and Eve... Our first parents had perfect relationship with God, which is what we were intended for. Your purpose, your destiny, your intention, the reason you were made is to actually have relationship with God, to be in perfect relationship with God. However, they decided that God wasn't a good enough dad. So they listened to the father of lies, the devil. They got a new dad, right? At this point, their relationship to God was shattered by sin that would separate them. But God is a patient and long-suffering father, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is just part of his character. Always has been, always will be. It's part of his character. So he made them clothes and sent them out of the garden called Eden. Yes, he brought a curse upon them. That was the natural consequence for uh, their wrongdoing, for their turning away from God. But yes, he still made clothes for them. Isn't that a gracious act? Isn't that a loving act? I don't know, as a parent, uh, if you've ever come to your child in a moment of discipline and, uh, and you know that they've done the wrong thing, you're coming to correct and rebuke and to bring them back and, uh, and in some small way you just give them some, somehow a gift and, and you just show this moment of tender mercy. Man, does that melt a child's heart? Does that turn a child's heart? And, uh, and this is what God did at this point. So he made them clothes and sent them out. From here came a long line of people who both loved God and at times turned their backs on God. He fathered a whole lineage of people called Israel who rebelled against him, committed adultery on him and went and worshipped other gods, were stiff-necked and didn't listen, complained about what he was doing and where he was taking them. 
and then loved him at times and worshipped him, obeyed him and did all that he commanded and then disobeyed him and tried to turn away from him. Do you see that? Does it sound like anyone you know? <laughs> Maybe your own children. Maybe you as a child. You're like, I love you, mum and dad. Ugh, I hate you, mum and dad. Why are you doing this to me for? I don't get what you're doing. They don't see the big picture. Until at last, it was time for Jesus, his son, to come into this broken world to start fixing it again. And most of all, to reunite people once and for all back to God, their true father. But interestingly, he did this through discipline. Yeah, Jesus Christ was disciplined by his father as he learned to do all that his father asked of him. In John, you actually read this this, uh, conversation between Jesus and his father. And he says, I come to do your will, God. He wasn't here to do his own will. He is God, right? He could have easily done that. But he came as as an example to us. To say, God, Father, I come to do your will, not my own. And the whole way through his life, the testing of his life, the temptation that Jesus endured. He endured temptation, did he not? Absolutely. Satan took him into the desert for, um, for a good period of time and tested him, tempted him. But he was without sin. So we can't imagine that uh, God disciplines him because he's disobedient. That's not the point of uh, discipline in Jesus' life point of discipline in Jesus' life was that he was learning perfect obedience and his obedience was becoming more and more perfect as he went through his life. And so uh, in in this way, God disciplined his own son, Jesus. He even went to die, shed his blood, be shamed, mocked and beaten in our place for our sins so that we could be adopted into his own family to be his own brothers and sisters. That's shocking. That's, That's absolutely amazing. Jesus too, as a son of God, learned discipline and learned obedience. It says it here, Hebrews 5 verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. As I said, this doesn't mean that Jesus was disobedient and needed to become obedient. It meant that obedience was perfected through his suffering and temptation and testing, which marked Jesus' life on the earth. Think about it this way. Imagine a boxer who went into the ring without any training, right? So you've got a boxer, his gloves are on, he's, he's ready to go, he's ready for the fight. One corner, he's in the other corner, and uh, his opposition's ready to go. His opposition's trained up. His muscles are weak and his body's unprepared for the blows he is about to give and receive. What happens? He gets flogged, absolutely flogged, right? He just gets beaten down and down and down, and his opponent wins quite easily, without any trouble. What do you think needs to happen? What do you think? He needs to be trained. What's that? He needs, and a he needs training and a helper. Well, you'd probably sack his coach if, he's, if he had a coach because his coach has done absolutely nothing. Uh, his coach was meant to prepare him to be all that he was meant to be as a boxer, right? He was meant to prepare him to be trained, to be well-disciplined, to be strong and ready for uh, all that he was going to come up against in the ring. Uh, what needs to happen is that his muscles need to be disciplined and put under pressure, right? This is the interesting thing about training. As a PE teacher, I often had conversations with kids um, about their muscles, right? Your muscles don't get stronger by standing there and going, come on, get stronger. Come on, get stronger. Come on, get stronger. No, no, no. They get stronger when they're disciplined and when they're put under pressure. You, you, do, you do bicep curls. You go running because that actually disciplines and trains the muscles to do what, all that they're meant to do, right? Without that, they become weak. They become meaningless and, uh, and potentially they're just there to uh, hold your body together, all right? 
But no, muscles are meant to be disciplined and trained, and uh, in the example of the boxer. Uh, weight training. He needed to receive blows. He needed to be quick and fast in his movements, and his body needed to be trained to be ready for the ring and his opponents. They do not get strengthened by just talking to them. So it is with God's discipline. God doesn't just speak to us and bam, suddenly we get it. It's like, yep, all right, I'm getting ready to go. No, God disciplines us and trains us. And you know, it says right there at the end of Hebrews, uh, the particular scripture we're looking at, discipline is painful at the time, right? Absolutely. This doesn't detract from painful discipline. You talk to any, any uh, Olympian who's gone over, they've spent four years training. Do you think it's fun? No way. Not at all. But the fruit is what they're after. The fruit is what they're looking forward to. So there's this looking ahead rather than just looking at the right now, waking up at 5am to go swimming or 4am or whatever it is. Waking up at, uh, or, or not eating particular things so you can keep to a particular diet so your body's in good shape and good form, ready for all that happens. Now if discipline was just about uh, physical, the body, um, then, uh, then it, it's not enough. Right? And this is where God gets to the very heart. All right, and he disciplines and trains our heart, not just our bodies. Uh, although discipline can look at times uh, very much physical. If you're truly his child today, you've put your faith in Jesus alone to pay for your sins and bring you peace with God, then discipline is not and should not be a surprise for you. This is a faulty thinking on my behalf. My, beha- my thinking probably over the years has mostly been I need to protect myself from difficulty. If I'm going to go and do something, then I need to make sure that uh, everything lines up and I can do it with ease. And if that's not going to happen, I'm just going to steer clear of it, right? Thinking that the hardship, the difficulty is actually going to be bad for me. It's not, not actually going to be good for me. And so I end up taking the path of least resistance. I don't know about you. Uh, that's certainly one of my weaknesses. But uh, it, it's not a surprise that God would discipline us through the hardships. We've been talking about faith over the last few weeks. Man, Abraham ultimately was being disciplined by God. He was being trained, right? Come and sacrifice your son on the altar. The training came when he actually went and did it, right? Not when God said something. The training and the discipline came and the, the uh, testing of his faith came when he actually went and did it. And God proved himself faithful time and time again. And so, uh, so it is with God's discipline. It's not a surprise. We ought not to be surprised as his children, as his sons and daughters, that he's going to discipline us. And that that loving discipline is, uh, is going to bear some good fruit in your life. You may not see right now. You may not see until heaven, which we talked about last, a few weeks ago as well. You have this longing for heaven because at heaven, that's where all that stuff's going to be sorted. So all that stuff's going to be sorted. It will come in all shapes and sizes, through suffering, through sickness, through healing, through fighting your sin, through pain in relationships, through harsh bosses, through faithful preaching. You stop and think about that. When you hear a good sermon and when the Holy Spirit does something in you, God's disciplining you. You hear that? He's, he's training you. There's something that's suddenly been corrected in you to go, ah, oh, I I need to change. There's, there needs to be some movement there. And by God's grace, you actually move away from sin and you move toward Christ. It might be through difficult temptation from Satan or the world. It might be through persecution because you love Jesus. But you hold out hope because God only disciplines those that he loves. 
That's the biggest thing to hear today. God only disciplines those that he loves. He does not discipline people who are not his children. He does not discipline them. He disciplines those that he loves. So the Christian life is probably not going to be all that you dreamed or imagined it could be if you thought that it was just going to be a rosy, peachy lifestyle. It's not going to be like that. But you have hope. Just look at what God did through Jesus' suffering. And you begin to see that God in his discipline uh, actually has great purpose. His discipline is not just a punishment for your wrongdoing. While it might be that, there might be natural consequences for your sin, right? If uh, you, uh, I don't know, think of a particular sin and there's natural consequences for that sin. If you lie and get shown up and lose your job, that's a natural consequence for your sin. And in that sense, it's like punishment, all right? Uh, and, and God doesn't necessarily stop that. You can have a repentant heart and turn back to him, but it doesn't necessarily stop the uh, natural, natural uh, overflow of your sin. But I'm hoping that you actually start shifting away from just this punishment mentality. God's out to punish me. I need to get better. I need to be more disciplined. God's got to get me. No, that's not the attitude of God necessarily. Donald Guthrie observes, a father who neglects to discipline a son is deficient in his capacity as a father. And a son who escapes all discipline is losing out on the sonship. That's what I felt like. I've read this and I'm understanding it now. I'm going, I've lost out on some of my sonship. It's like a bit of regret there because I didn't do all all the probably hard things that I ought to have done. And I've missed out a bit because God could have shown himself amazing in those times. Absolutely amazing. This is a principle which would not be recognised by all schools of thought in this modern age where permissiveness has such powerful influence. The authority of parents has been so eroded that discipline rarely, if ever, comes into play. It has generally ceased to be a part of sonship. It is small wonder that those brought up in such an atmosphere find genuine difficulty in understanding the discipline of God. And so Hebrews 5 says this, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? and including that sons and daughters. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Think about it this way. I've been uh, interested to read uh, like an anti-psalm or an anti-proverb, and so I've attempted to do that here. I hope I've been faithful to uh, what what, uh, the Bible is actually saying. So imagine it this way. The anti, the opposite. Hey you, what's your name? Take little notice of when I teach you and train you and when life becomes hard, you'll become weary. When you know you've done the wrong thing, you need to go and sit in the corner and work out what you've done wrong on your own. You know what? I'm going to leave you to your own devices. You run your own life and I'm not going to interrupt in any way. Imagine that. Imagine if that's what God said in the Bible. I mean, ultimately, I was talking to Pete this morning and you look through the Old Testament and there is times when God does leave people a bit to their own devices because they come so stiff-necked and, uh, and, and they don't want to listen to him anymore. So they go and reap the fruit of, uh, of what they do, okay? They go and reap the fruit of their rebellion. But, uh, but imagine that this is the father who is God right now in your life. What sort of father would do that? What sort of father would repeatedly go and do that every single time? Go on, go and sort it out yourself. You're my son, but I'm not going to do anything to interrupt your life. You work it out for yourself. You, uh, you sort it out for yourself. 
You know what? I reckon that actually looks pretty much like modern parenting, wouldn't you say? It's like, children, just go and sort your your stuff out. You learn to make the right choices. You learn to do uh, the right thing based based on the wrong decisions you make. That's not parenting. That's not loving fatherly discipline. It is not. And it certainly doesn't image the uh, discipline that God shows. <clears throat> not God. His loving disciplines means that he will interrupt your life. He will walk you through it and not leave you to yourself and your own devices. He will continue to hold on to you as his son or daughter. In fact, the discipline shows that he's holding on to you. Right? That's what, that's what it's saying here. God disciplines those he loves. I'm hanging on to you. And so there's things that are going to happen in your life and I'm going to permit in your life and I'm going to order in your life that are actually going to train you and are going to be painful. They are going to be painful. But it shows that I'm holding on to you. You're my son. And there's a greater, a greater goal than just what's going on in your life. Jesus didn't just die. He rose again. He conquered. He endured all of God's discipline, firstly to learn obedience to his dad, whom he loved, and secondly for us so that we too would have hope. So I'm here today to tell you, with the Hebrews, you can endure. You can endure. Don't give up. Don't be weary when you're being disciplined. Think about the moment of discipline in your life right now, or a moment of discipline that's happened with this thinking about obedience, right? Uh, Sorry, this thinking about discipline. It's not just punishment. Now think about this fully old understanding of discipline. Has God been working in you? Maybe you've been asking the wrong questions. So how does it happen? The purpose of your life is to be holy, to be like Jesus. Now you forget this. Like in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the suffering, you forget the, the purpose of your life. I think, when I think, when, as I shared before, when I think that I've got to free my life of all difficulty and hardship and trial, and even that I have to free my children's life of all difficulty and hardship and trial, I think that, that that's actually the best thing. That's the purpose of our life, is to be easy, to be comfortable, and to make it to heaven, basically. And I don't trust that what happens in my life, God can actually use for my training and for my growth. See, the purpose of your life, if you love Jesus today, and if you're his son or his daughter, then uh, the purpose of your life is to be holy. And it's in holiness that there's actually great freedom. It's not in the life that you particularly design for yourself. It's not in the life that you particularly control. Discipline untangles the sin in our heart. Verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time, that is parents, as it seemed best to them. See, it's imperfect discipline, but it's discipline nonetheless. Our job as parents, particularly you fathers, me father, is to discipline our children and do it well. It's going to be fallen. It's going to be tainted with our own anger at times. It's going to be tainted with our own selfish desires at times. But that doesn't mean we give up disciplining because there's a greater goal in mind. You're thinking not just about your child now. You're thinking about your child when he's 80 and he has 10 grandchildren or she has 10 grandchildren, right? That's, the, that's where you're pointed. That's where your goal is. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of, holy, of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And I missed the part where it says, but he disciplines us, God disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. He's willing to share his holiness with you. Do you know that? 
He's willing to share his perfect moral character. He's willing to share his, uh, a, a, an incredible part of his... You know what's happened to the screen? Oh, let's back in. Uh, perfect part of his character, and he's willing to share that with us. That's incredible. What about this one? Revelation 3.19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Why do you need to repent? The core issue, the core issue of holiness is sin, right? You deal with your sin. Your sin gets purged away because that's no longer what God wants to see in you. He wants to see his own son, Jesus, in you. He wants to see you perfected, moulded, shaped. And so he disciplines those he loves. He reproves. He comes and says, you know what? You're not going the right way. Sometimes he shouts, you're not going the right way. Come back. If my child walks down towards the road and I know that they're about to walk onto a busy road, what am I going to do? Sweetie, no, don't go there. No, no shout. Holy, come back. Don't go there. Takes all forms and shapes. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. God disciplines so that we would not be entangled in our sin. The only reason you need to repent is because of sin. Interesting that earlier in Hebrews 12, it mentions throwing off the sin that so easily entangles. This happens through the process of rooting out the sin by repenting and turning to Christ to redeem you. Most often discipline in all its shapes and sizes reveals who who or what is truly ruling your heart. Take a look at the man who had everything in Mark chapter 10. So if you've got it there, Mark chapter 10 verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, this is Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, <coughs> excuse me, loved him. You see that? Two very important words there. Jesus didn't say, you need to get rid of all your stuff. No, he loved him, went toward him and said this, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, you can understand from this that that's not necessarily God's discipline. But you can see what could actually be going on here for us. The discipline here would be in the form of convicting truth about what rules our heart. And this is oftentimes where God's discipline comes in. He comes in as a jealous God, a loving God, in in the perfect way of jealousy, right? He, He can't handle his children just going and doing stuff against him. Can't handle his children going and, uh, and worshipping other gods. It's like committing adultery, right? He can't handle that. So he comes to you in, in a loving form of discipline to say, no, you know what? That's not going to be good for your life. In fact, that's going to destroy you. And so he comes to this man and uh, he reveals what truly is ruling his heart. He was a good man. He did all the right things outwardly. But the thing that was ruling his heart was possessions and things. And so he went away sad. He didn't actually turn. Then take a look at uh, Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. So this psalmist is uh, actually thankful for his affliction. 
So there's been some process that's gone on, and if you read Psalm 119, you see the full process of uh, his crying out and, uh, and, and the reality of all that he's going through. Um, so it's not like he just came to this and was like, snap, all right, thank you God for my affliction, sweet, now I follow you. No, no, there's a heartfelt, there's a deep wrenching cry from him saying, God, why have you afflicted me? I don't get it. I don't get what's going on. But now that you have, I won't go astray. And I actually keep your word. Verse 71, it's good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Firstly, following God's ways is to be more, the de- more desired than gold. Remember, it's not like you live your own life and like, that's sweet. Yeah, everything, everything's going to be okay without God. No, you actually need to learn uh, to follow God and his statutes. It's a new way. This is why the psalmist can say that it was better for him to be afflicted and keep God's word than to go astray and live however he wanted to. Think of the ante of these two, these two psalms. Before I was afflicted, I was living the dream. I could live the way I wanted. Do I really have to follow God's will? Or maybe in the second, it's bad that I was afflicted. I wanted to keep living according to my own rules and my own ways. Do you see the difference in response there? Right? It becomes a really complaining, bitter, man, why do I have to be afflicted again? I don't get it. And ultimately, it's like God gets put on the stand and he has to answer to you because you're the judge of God now. Why are you doing this to me, God? You better answer me. You see this really dangerous flip in the relationship. This is the response of an illegitimate child. Maybe this is your reaction amongst the trial and hardship, the discipline that's going on in your life, complaining, grumbling, and bitter words. If this is you today... Today is the day to repent. Turn back to him in your trial. Today is the day to start learning from God what he is lovingly teaching you out of this discipline. You see right at the end of uh, chapter 12, verse 11, the second part of verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Right? So there's an element which we, with which God interacts with us and he disciplines and he brings about correction and training. And uh, there's an element with which we actually need to submit and go, okay, I'm willing to be trained by this. So is the suffering in your life it painful? Absolutely. I don't, I don't want to stand up here and say that it's not and that you're wrong for being real in your suffering. No, no, no. Suffering is real and it is painful, but what do you actually see that God's doing in it? Do you ask God the question only, God, why are you doing this again? I'm weary. Can't you see that I'm already done? Like, I'm, I'm just so tired. And you start isolating yourself and pulling yourself back, saying, God, you can't work in this. I can't see that you can do anything out of this. And the life of faith, God's Holy Spirit in you is a powerful, powerful person who actually helps you to say, God, I don't understand what you're doing, but please train me in it. Please show me something good in this. It's easy to forget. You forget Christ, your personal saviour. You forget his afflictions, his sufferings, his battle against temptation, that he won. He won them all. It's possible for you to win in the trial and the suffering in the pain, in the discipline. You forget who you really are. The discipline is not unusual as a child of God. So the question is, God, what are you teaching me in this discipline? 
The question is whether your heart is inclined toward God or away from God. I heard it said this way. Uh, if you discipline your child well, ultimately they'll cling to you. At the end of the process of discipline, they'll actually cling to you because they know that in what you've said and what you've done, there's actually real safety. And they know that because of this great love that you have for them, it's, it's going to be good for them to keep doing what you've asked them to do. It's going to be good for them to turn in whatever you've done. And the same with God. God's discipline is meant to draw you to himself. Like the mother hen wraps up her chicks under her wing. That's, that's what God does, right? It's meant to draw you back under his wing. Under his wing, there's, uh, there's safety, there's protection. Even in the affliction, even in the, the danger. <clears throat> so what, could, what does God say to you in your discipline? Before we, before we do this, a person who has uh, particularly inspired me over the last couple of days, um, I, I thought of this lady, Johnny Erickson Tata. Has anybody heard of her before? Johnny Erickson is a uh, lady who, uh, when she was a young girl, dived into a lake or a beach somewhere and broke her back, and she became a quadriplegic instantly. She literally floated to the top of the water and uh, had to be rescued by her sister. He's out for some basketball. <laughs> uh, by her sister, she gets rescued and uh, spends basically the rest of her life in a wheelchair. She's still alive today, as we'll find out. Um, just recently, in the last few years, she's actually been diagnosed and battled through breast cancer. Go, God, what are you doing? Like, is quadriplegia not enough? <laughs> is quadriplegia not enough for someone to be purged and, and to be dealt with in, in, as a child of God, as a, as a daughter of God? But no, apparently it wasn't. <laughs> Could God have healed her in an instant with a, with a word? Absolutely. God could have done that. But no, there was a greater purpose in her life and in her suffering. Have a listen to her uh, testimony. Hi, I'm Johnny, and thanks so much for visiting our website. You know, many people have written to ask, um, give us an update, Johnny. How are you doing with chronic pain? What's going on with your cancer? And I am so grateful for this chance to tell you a big heartfelt thanks for your prayers. I tell you what, it was, it was just around this time last year I was finishing up that rigorous regimen of chemotherapy to battle that stage three breast cancer. Many of you know the details. And thankfully, the recent PET scan is clear. Um, I hope you can tell my strength and energy are back. And I am still resonating from your intercessions. Honestly, I am. And I know people were praying. I mean, back then, I received so many emails. I read your posts on the blog and your notes. One woman wrote me and said, Johnny, this cancer could not have happened to a nicer person. (laughs) However, I must confess, most of the emails were more like, um, Johnny, you've got quadriplegia, you deal with chronic pain, and now a life-threatening illness. What, What is God doing? And I've got to admit, at first I wondered, Lord, what are you doing? I recall the first time I met with the oncologist shortly after my surgery. I was in his office. He laid out the plan for chemotherapy, how I'd have to head back into the hospital to have a catheter port surgically inserted into my chest. The toxic drugs would eat what little lean tissue I have. He told me that my already fragile bones would get weaker. Um, There would be a threat of blood clots, not to mention the side effects that he told me about. And I have to tell you what, when he left the room and closed the door, I looked at Ken, 
and I just broke down in great heaving sobs crying over and over again I can't do this Ken I can't it's too much I can't do this but in the next breath you know what you've got to say don't you but I can do all things through you Jesus as you strengthen me and Jesus really showed up big time especially through my husband Ken with every surgical procedure I mean with every doctor's appointment second third opinion x-ray pet scan chemo regimen blood test you name it Ken was there for better or for worse in sickness and in health what a guy what a support he has been to me and what a support the word of God has been for both of us God speaks to you in your discipline God doesn't, he's not like the father who just takes his hand off and goes, oh, that's, that's full on, I don't know if I can handle that. No, he speaks to you directly in your discipline. He's a good dad. <clears throat> can you hear, you could hear in her, uh, in her attitude there, it wasn't just a flippant, oh yeah, God's good, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. No, that was a heartfelt cry. God, what are you doing in this? I, I don't understand, I can't do it. I don't think I can do it. You take some time to read the Psalms and they are heartfelt cries, they are laments in people's pain and trial and suffering. God speaks directly into your life and into the discipline that you experience. So I wonder what God's trying to say to you in your discipline. I'll just outline this. Sometimes in discipline you actually need to get down to the root cause of what's going on. Sometimes you can uh, go to the Word and you want the, a particular scripture to just slap on and everything will be okay. And that's not necessarily how God's going to use His Word and that's not necessarily how God's going to speak to you. In fact, you may actually need a community of people around you to help you to see your weakness. Maybe there's an element of your discipline where you can't see your weakness. You're deceived in your sin and you can't see it and you actually need people to help you to see it. I need that. Man, how much I need that. We often have conversations, Pete Diff and I, uh, or my wife and I, where you end up confronting and neither of us respond necessarily great in the moment of confronting, but that's just what we needed to actually get to the root cause of our response in the discipline. All right? And so you need community around you. You heard her say that her husband, uh, Ken, was right there with her through every moment. We need people around us uh, in moments of discipline. Psalm 72, verse 12. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. God says that to you in the moment of your discipline. This is only a few. Matthew 28, 20. And behold, I am with you always. Do you hear that right now? in whatever it is that you're walking through. Have you heard that before? Behold, I'm with you. God is active. God's doing something. There's a purpose. There's direction to what you're going through. It's not just purposeless, aimless, sucker. Gotcha. And God's with you. Psalm 42 verse 5. This is where you, you might have to actually preach to your soul. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. I need to preach to yourself. 
you're hopeless, you're feeling, uh, you just can't keep going. Psalm 42 is a very much a preaching to yourself psalm. Hope in God, soul, hope in God. Philippians 1.29 For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. Do you hear that? It's not like, you have to suffer, suckers. No, it's granted to you. It's like a gift. It's like, here, you get the gift of suffering with Christ. It's not, uh, why would you avoid a gift? <laughs> why would you avoid a servant who comes to actually train you and help you and make you into what God designed? Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this. May I say this to you today? I am sure of this. As God's child, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. As surely as Jesus died, as surely as he rose again, surely God is going to do whatever he wants to do in you and bring it to completion. Finally, this one. This is one that, this has been like one of the pat ones that I've just sort of gone, come on, why isn't it working? Why isn't it working? And we know that for those who love God, children, God the Father works all things together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So perhaps in your hopelessness today, please take hope. Please take hope that this promise from God is true and that he speaks this directly into your moment of discipline. Whether it's been years of discipline, years of trial, for, for Johnny Erickson, that, that pain is not going away anytime soon, right? But the pain, she, she's spoken of it as, as like a sheepdog. The pain and the suffering is like a sheepdog. It keeps bringing me back. It keeps bringing me back to Christ. Keeps helping me to lean on him more and more and more and more. God's going to work it together for good, for those who are called and according to his purpose. I'm going to finish up with a uh, song today, and uh, it's called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And I hope that as you sing it, there's uh, that you really worship it, that you really mean it. How deep is the Father's love for you? Don't be deceived into thinking that the Father's love means everything's rosy and peachy, that uh, you must avoid all suffering. No, how deep is the Father's love for us, that he would discipline us and bring us to holiness, that he's not done with you. How vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch like us his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away, as wounds which mar the chosen one. Bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life, and I know that it is finished. Stand together with me. How vast beyond.
Father, you are, you are exactly that. We get to call you Father when we come and we're adopted into your family through Jesus Christ and through his death and through his resurrection. So God, uh, as children, for some of us today probably means crying out, why God, what, what's going on? I don't get it. For some of us it means praying for, that, for others who are in the midst of affliction, suffering and trial. And God, I pray that for all of us that uh, there would be a remembering that would go on today. A remembering who you are as a father, who you are as the father throughout all of history and the way that you've dealt with your children time after time after time, showing grace, showing compassion, showing mercy so that in your discipline you would actually bring us towards yourself. So in your discipline us, you would actually purify us. There's such purpose. Help us to remember God. I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Can I say this uh, in closing? There's a, uh, an immense word for us as fathers. For those who are fathers, for those who are about to be fathers or uh, might be fathers in the future, we have the privilege of bearing the name of God and he shares this with us. He shares his name of father with us. That's a privilege, but it's also a great responsibility. So what does uh, discipline in your home look like? Does it actually reflect the loving, teaching, correcting, punishing and training of your children in likeness to God? Do your children respond to your discipline in the manner that the Bible speaks of, clinging to you ever more closely? Uh, If not, then my advice is by God's grace, pray and see why not. Because you're bearing the image of God the Father to your children. Ultimately, you want them to see Him through you, right? And so pray. Ask others to pray with you, for you. Probably means opening up to someone about the failures of your discipline. The failures, failures as a father and, uh, and actually praying and getting to the root of what's going on. Uh, and then you get to work on actually seeing how is it that God has discipline throughout history? How is it that God disciplines his children? What does it actually look like? So that in some way, it's going to be fallen, it's going to be limited by the fact that we're human, but in some way, you're doing your best to actually image the Father God well to these children that have been given to you. So will you do that with me, men and fathers? That would be great. Can I just pray for you? Uh, Father God, that is a, uh, that's a big call for, our, for you to share that name with us. We're fathers for those of us who are. And, uh, and so God, today, I pray that we would uh, take the repro- re- reproving, the rebuking word uh, that we need to discipline and discipline well, not just punish God, not just uh, get angry quickly, but God, that more and more as you uh, discipline us, we would discipline our children in mercy, in grace, in tenderness, in kindness, with the ultimate goal of uh, them becoming holy and more like you. So uh, God, give us grace to realise our weakness. Give us grace to uh, be open about our failures so that there would be a... uh, working and changing in us that looks more like you. Amen.